Hey everybody, it feels like spring outside. Welcome to the Restoring the Farmstead podcast, and this is Larry, and if you can't tell, then you're not listening. I am excited. The weather was up in the 60s today, and I could not wait to get off work and head up here to the farm uh, and do a little bit of work, but also uh, meet with a, a friend of mine who is a contractor to talk about some of the different things we can do to help preserve and make this 135-year-old farmhouse hopefully last another 50 or 75 years. So that's that's all a part of uh, what I have today on, on the uh, Restoring the Farmstead podcast. Uh, today is Wednesday, the 11th of March. And like I said, just beautiful day. We had rain yesterday. That was lousy. This morning, there was just horrible fog uh, in Effingham. But this afternoon, we had mostly blue skies. Got off work came home, changed clothes, and headed on up here. And whenever I came down the the lane, I saw, uh, again, my friend uh, Dale Stanley, and he has a, uh, uh, he's a contractor and has his own uh, company, and we did just a very brief look around. I was kind of hoping, okay, let's crawl underneath the house, but he really didn't, didn't have time, and he didn't really... <laughs> Looked like he was at that place. He was taking a walk around, and he's got an eye that knows, you know, what to look for and what to see whenever he's around a house for any kind of renovation. So he, whenever I came home, he was walking around, or when I came here to the farm, he was walking around uh, the farmhouse, uh, brought him inside, and showed him some of my concerns. Um, he pointed out that, you know, there's there's definite sagging uh with the the kitchen floor and and there is that's uh very much uh uh probably i think he said like a two inch sag in the middle so floor joists are not doing good in that particular part uh also here in the living room we have um where the original lath and plaster uh near the front door is bowing and uh so that's that's a that's an issue there also. He wanted to know, you know, how much do you want to put into something like this? What's your long-term plans? Do you just want a Band-Aid? Do you want to do something more? And I kind of shared with him just a little bit about, you know, what my hopes and my dreams are that I want to not turn it into a house that is looks totally modern uh, and that kind of a renovation, but having it something similar to how my grandparents had it. Uh, that it would have that old feel still, that it would, you know, be the, the, the place where we have some of the different, you know, family heirlooms and keepsakes and, uh, and can kind of step back in time as we restore the farmstead. We then took a look around the outside again and, uh, he made, you know, some, the, some recommendations and the initial recommendation was need to do something with, uh, uh, regarding drainage, that the the yard has been developing topsoil 
uh, for many, many, many years, as long as the house has been there. And it's gradually just built up and built up so that there's much more of a likelihood for water running towards the farmhouse than away from it. He also said, you know, when you have shrubbery that's close to the house like we have, that's inviting for termites. Uh, there's a, a cup where we, we uh, took down, uh, Matt and I took down the big pine tree that had died during the drought a couple of years ago. There's two remaining ones. And he said, you know, I uh, hope you're not sentimentally attached to them, but he said you probably need to take down those pine trees as well just to not have that kind of vegetation up close to the house and do some reworking, get out of transit, and we do have one so that we can take a uh, and draw for some accurate grade uh, for the slope uh, so that everything goes away, all the water goes away from uh, the farmhouse. Uh, pull away some of the extra dirt exposing uh, more of the uh, foundational brick that is uh, that was laid that I really think is mostly just to keep critters out from underneath but to expose that so that in the summer he can come back and actually look underneath the house from that vantage point and see what are we actually looking at what are we dealing with uh, regarding the uh, the the farmstead the farmhouse also asked him as far as you know when it, if I wanted to get uh, replace the weatherboarding uh, on the front of the house get some insulation in uh, do those different things to really make uh, make this uh, better for the winter time so we're not losing so much heat through uh, the walls and he kind of gave a rough figure and probably in looking at siding labor uh, insulation uh, a couple of other things that he knows about that I don't know about because this isn't my my forte by any means. Uh, he said probably we're we're going to be looking at somewhere close to five thousand dollars for that part. So okay, I'm I'm okay with that. That's something that can be worked into a long term budget if you know that's a thing that's uh, uh, going to help the farmhouse if it's structurally sound. Uh, then we can look and see later on what needs to be done regarding uh, the kitchen floor and, and any uh, of the sagging joists underneath. So that was good. That was uh, the first part of coming up here to the uh, the farmstead uh, this evening. Uh, then uh, went out to where the uh, the goats will be in the ground. is so horribly soggy. Uh, it's just unbelievably soggy. Uh, just walking with the gum boots, uh, <laughs> I, w I must have been hitting on some mole tunnels because I'd step in one spot and I'd hear water squirt out two to three feet away. Kind of startles you, think something's out there. Um, but I did put uh, some additional coats of paint on the uh, the the goat shed. And I didn't have time really to get into, I was starting to lose daylight, and I didn't really have time to start sorting through the, the metal pile that I got from Matt to find the uh, tin sheeting for the roof. Um, but also there was wet paint still on that. So the next time I'm up, I'll have to to uh, dig into that pile. I Then as the, the sun was starting to uh, go down, I retreated into the machine shed, of course, with the cats. They were with me the whole time. Uh, 
they are so much fun to uh, to just watch romp and play, and they were all over the big straw bale, or I'm sorry, hay bale that we have right there by the goat shed. So they had a lot of fun with that. Uh, but we, uh, I went into the uh, machine shed and decided, got to figure out what is wrong with the propane tractor. And if any of you listening to this podcast is, you know, if you're familiar with John Deere 4020s or if you're familiar especially with uh, propane ones, um, uh, really would, would appreciate your thoughts. Uh, and you can send, uh, leave comments for me on the Facebook page. Uh, or send me a, a private message regarding that. But what I did was I, I, you know, in essence, popped up the hood on the the John Deere because one of the the areas, one of the things I wanted to check was the regulator, and it looks very much uh, like uh, what a regulator would on your your gas grill at home. A uh, little bit, a little bit of a different style, but basically the same thing. And one to see is is that. Um, uh, diaphragm in there. If it was torn, if it if there was something wrong with it, did the switch seem to be working? And from what I could tell, it it seemed to be doing fine. So I turned on the the propane gas, and uh, and I know it's it's full. It's got about uh, uh, it's about forty percent full. And so I was I turned on the gas and nothing coming through nothing coming to it. So there's another little ditty that I'm going to have to dig into the book uh, to see or if somebody has some ideas. Um, but there's, uh, it looks like, um, uh, oh, like if you have a regular gasoline tractor, you've got the little bulb uh, for the gas and it's similar looking to that except it's not glass. And uh, I guess that's probably the next thing I need to check. I'm not sure what that's called, but, you know, well, this this is all a part of that learning process. I'm going to have to figure out what that is. So uh, that would be the next thing I need to check. But uh, time was starting to get a little bit late, and I wanted to get back to, to town in a reasonable manner. Uh, so I kind of stopped things there. I put down the 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 hood on the uh the tractor because the cats were really enjoying climbing in there and I could see them knocking the piece of board out of the way and getting caught or trapped or injured so got that lowered back down um so those were the main things that I did I did have one kind of a surprising sound uh I started hearing geese again and uh so they I went outside it was still a little bit daylight I took a picture uh uh, it didn't turn out real great, but there was a nice big V of of geese, Canada geese, heading north right over the machine shed. They were up quite a ways, so that was kind of fun. That's definitely a sign of sign that spring is is approaching, and I'm so looking forward to that. Um, let's see, other things, other things up here. Um, I guess one of the things that I want to incorporate into some of the podcasts uh, are some of the stories. Uh, my dad was a great storyteller, and my grandma Quicksaw was also one to uh, to tell stories, but also record stories. She enjoyed writing, and one of the things that I found really amazing 
was that starting in the mid-1920s, she started keeping a journal. And it wasn't like Dear Diary. It was, it was more along the line of, this is what we did today. Here's who came by to visit. You know, so-and-so, uh, we went to their funeral. Uh, here was what the temperature was. We went out to the pond and we caught this many fish. Uh, just maybe one, two, three sentences, maybe four sentences. Uh, but after having it for a year or two, she started keeping it pretty consistent and wrote every day through the last part of the 1920s and the 30s and the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, up until her death, I believe, within about three months of her death in uh, 1987. So she, uh, you know, she was very much one for keeping track of what was what was going on and some of the different stories. And uh, one of the stories just kind of wanted to share, uh, and it goes back to Marion Quicksall. Now, he was uh, one of the youngest children of Aaron and Elizabeth Quicksall, and they were the, the mom and dad who brought their family up here to Illinois during the Civil War. Uh, Aaron had been born in Richmond, Virginia, and his uh, dad, Jonathan Erastus Quicksall, was a pastor and moved the family in the late 1820s to Taswell County, Virginia, and they lived in an area that was uh, known as Baptist Valley. Now, this is before the town of Taswell was founded, uh, but during that time, they still had uh, apparently had a courthouse because if you were a pastor and you married someone, you had to go in to uh, where the, the records were kept, the uh, courthouse of its time, and you had to record who you married to make it legal. And so what's kind of neat is uh, that record book is still there in Tazewell County, and uh, I can go there, open up that book, and I can see my great-great-great-great-grandfather's signature. Uh, as far as where he married people. Uh, but anyway, uh, Aaron was, uh, uh, he married Elizabeth Prater, and uh, they, uh, they moved up uh, to Kentucky around 1845, and then when the Civil War broke out, they moved their family uh, up to, uh, initially to Paradise, uh, Illinois, just north of here, and then purchased ground. The first piece of ground was actually purchased in, um, it was June 22nd, uh, 1863 is when that took place. So that piece of ground is still in the family, has been for 151 years. But, you know, this is part of my long-windedness and liking to tell stories. One of their youngest children was Marion, and uh, Marion is the one who purchased uh, the 20 acres uh, from, I believe, it was either a John Elam or a William Elam. I think it was a John Elam, uh, and I believe that was in 1880. And from what I can gather is there really wasn't anything to speak of on this tract of land. And so that was, uh, it was Marion's effort to uh, establish the first farmstead, homestead here. 
And so he uh, he built the house, and it's the original part is uh, kind of a what we would see as a traditional farmhouse around here. It has two rooms downstairs, two rooms upstairs. Had a, originally had a center chimney, so that would allow for the kitchen to have a cook stove, the living room to have uh, a wood stove for heat, and then upstairs you could have a, a small stove in each of the rooms if you wanted to. Now, I'm, I think they only had just one stove upstairs um, to, to heat all that up. But one of the things, and I guess the story that I think is kind of an interesting one, behind the farmhouse down the hillside is where there's a spring that comes out of the, the hill. And we have uh, an old concrete water trough that's been built and rebuilt over the years uh, so that livestock could just, you know, always have water available to them. And that's what we're going to be using for the goats uh, as we uh, as we prepare that area for them. But Marion, he had a small barn that was uh, near our asparagus, where our asparagus patch is now. And he wanted to have a well over there by uh, the the barn. So he had dug a well that was right here by the house, and it goes down, I think, about 17 feet. And then he wanted to dig one out there. So as he dug it and got a well, something kind of unusual happened. The spring dried up. And so he had tapped into that vein, and uh, it stopped the flow. Well, that Marion did not want that to happen. So he filled in his well that he had just dug, <laughs> and uh, who knows how deep that one was. And when he did, then the, the spring continued flowing. Uh, last year, we had trouble with the spring, as well as our next-door neighbor, Matt. His, he has a, a, a spring on a different level and uh, a little bit of a higher level, I believe, on the hillside. So it's a different vein. And uh, when, when I had a pipe break last winter uh, in the kitchen, and it went apparently several days, uh, go, and, and thankfully because of the, the sloping floor in the kitchen, the water just drained underneath the farmhouse, but it, it, it went into uh, underneath the new part where there was an area where it was able to be caught and apparently leached into the soil. But it was so much that it must have changed something by a drop in the water pressure. And his well, he did not have, because he put a well in at that spring, he didn't have any water for a while. He had to truck in some water. And it changed where the water comes out at the spring by where our water trough is. So that's going to be an interesting uh, thing that I need to get into once we have really good weather. Get in there and see what's happened. I'm going to need to dig down because there's a little collection area, a little um, kind of like a miniature well where the water can come in through the bricks and, and then go into the water trough from there. But the water is rising to the surface on either side of it, and it's not really going into the water trough like it used to. So those are some of the things that will be interesting projects that also have an interesting story with it. Uh, I wish I could have seen uh, how the, uh, the farmstead looked like, 
but I do have the memories and the stories that my dad shared with me because he does remember the orchard. He did, you know, he he remembered the apples and the pears and the cherry trees uh, where another grape harbor used to be. Um, those different things he shared, and I have rough ideas where it's at. So that's going to that's gonna make for a, a neat opportunity to uh, see about, well, do we want to redo some of those things? I'd love to have an orchard. Uh, I also want to have pasture. When I was a kid, it's the pasture is where the apple orchard used to be. But when the trees died, they were just cut down, and that was it. Another interesting thing with the orchard, whenever they had plenty of apples left over, it was a good year they dug a big hole out there in the orchard lined it with straw put the apples there covered it with straw buried the whole thing and then in the spring or at any point in time in the winter if they needed apples they could go out there dig them up dig up some just you know uncover part of them get those apples out and the rest would stay in there it was it was a bit of a uh, a temporary root cellar and they apparently stayed good, at least good enough for cooking. Um, a lot of the old-style apples, you really didn't want to eat them like we eat apples today. They weren't that sweet. They were more tart. Uh, they were often cooked. Uh, or they were processed into cider. And then the cider was allowed to get hard. And, uh, and so you had Applejack, or you put a mother... Uh, in it, and you started making cider vinegar, which vinegar was an important part of farmsteads in the old days. So, well, tell you what, it's getting about the time where I need to head home. So uh, I will sign off on the the podcast for today and uh, keep you posted as to uh, when we're when the 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 goats will be able to come up here. And until then, uh, I'll be looking for better weather and, and maybe hopefully a little bit of drying so that I can uh, get the fence up. Uh, we um, Oh, one more thing just about that. Our neighbor, Matt and Michelle, uh, Michelle sent me a text message today asking me about the goats. And I said, no, we don't have them up here yet. But apparently the coyotes have been getting somewhat aggressive uh, and uh, not having a lot of fear. Uh, she said coyotes were coming up uh, real close to the farmhouse up to about where the bees are. And when I go out the kitchen door, uh, it's only about 30 paces to where I'm at the bees. So uh, if the coyotes are coming that quick uh, or coming up that close, um, a little concern for uh, the the goats uh, being there. So I'm going to have to really make sure that that fence is good. I may also put on the top of it uh, a bit of uh, barbed wire in case these coyotes have an urge to jump uh, and put down, st- do a little stake, extra staking down as far as uh, the bottom part of the fence. So, um, but I, she, she knew somebody who does some hunting of coyotes and, uh, hey, Take them out. I'm all for that. They don't need to be around this farmstead whenever we start having livestock here. Um, you know, yes, they need to eat, but there's other things they can eat. They don't need my goats. So, 
Anyway, that's the latest, so I will let you go. Hope you have a great evening, and uh, if you've got a farmstead that uh, you think uh, uh, you want to restore or you want to add some different things, I hope that you gain something from uh, the efforts that we're doing here, and that's inspiring, and and to the different family members and uh, part extended members of the Quicksoft family. Uh, I hope this is fun for you to listen to also. I've got cousins who used to come here to the farm when my, when our grandparents lived here and they, they have a lot more memories than I do. Uh, the, the, uh, my first cousins that are, that are a little bit older than me. Uh, they remember, uh, growing up across the road and, and this being a big part of their life. So I hope that they uh, they enjoy uh, uh, hearing about that, the, the different things I'm trying to do, and I hope that they, uh, they, uh, they have, a, I guess, a level of approval uh, in uh, trying to do things and, and restore things uh, that, that uh, maybe brings up some or refreshes some of their memories. So anyway, we'll let you go. You guys take care and God bless.